welcome to Drinks at the Doll, Episode 10, Lauren. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And today we're going to talk about Dr. Lauren Lewis, a.k.a. Karen Beatty, a.k.a. Dr. Hot Pants, a.k.a. Low. I had to say that because I know Annie hates that nickname. <laughs> I do. Uh, so this is the second episode in our series about the main characters on Lost Girl. And by the way, we're not doing these in any particular order. I really, because like I'm an organization kind of nut, I really kind of wanted to do them in like credits order or something, but it's just based on who we can get contributors for and uh, their availability. But So no particular order. And speaking of guest contributors, our guest contributor today is Kedri. She is at Kedri on Twitter. That's K-E-D-R-I-E. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me here. And since we're talking about Lauren, the drink special for today is a drink called a Hot Pants. I kid you not. Uh, It's made with one and a half ounces of tequila, a half ounce of peppermint schnapps, a tablespoon of grapefruit juice, and a teaspoon of powdered sugar, which sounds kind of like a strange combination of ingredients, so I'm a little skeptical, but here we go. Good luck. That's actually not bad. That's actually pretty good. And it's kind of pink. So Lauren likes her tequila, and the drink is kind of pink, so I think that's appropriate, right? Yep, that'll work. Okay, so Lauren has really evolved since the first season. We didn't really see her much all that much in season one. She often would just have one, maybe two scenes per episode. She got kind of a nice trilogy in the middle of the season with Food for Thought and then Arachnophobia and then Vexed. She got kind of bigger storylines in those episodes. But we didn't really see her all that much throughout season one. Would you all say that's fair? I think she was less prevalent in in season one and a bit a bit in season two. And I, I think some of that was to establish her mysterious qualities. And some of that was really just to show her exposition, which was um, science and her tenacity to build those scientific answers to the questions that were needed. Bo's kind of action-y and she's kind of like backline science. So that kind of made sense. And so season two, it felt like she got a little more screen time. She at least had a pretty strong plot line with the storyline with Nadia and then the storyline with the tension in her relationship with the Ash. So she got a little more screen time, but we still had a few episodes where she just wasn't even there because she and Nadia were off doing whatever. But I felt like in season three, she got a pretty robust storyline. She kind of was a little more absent in the middle middle-ish of the season, but I thought she got a pretty good storyline. So I thought we would talk about how we saw her develop throughout season three, starting with Caged Faye. In Caged Faye, we see eventually that Lauren seems to be a big impetus as to the whole reason why Bo infiltrates this prison. Maybe there was other concerns about corruption there, but it really seems to be Lauren's idea that they're following through on this plot line. And I think we see a really cool side of Lauren in this episode. Well, I agree. I think I think her um, the whole point of them being there was to to really find out what happened to Lauren's mentor in the first place, and everything else that was happening in the prison was just kind of an aside to that. I loved the very first episode of the fir- of this season because you see a different side of Lauren than you've seen previously. She's confident. She's playful. She's flirty. She's 
she's in her groove, and all of those things combined just really show a more well-rounded character, and it was really refreshing to see that. Yeah, I agree. I think that in Caged Fae, it's such a difference from the Lauren we see in, like, say, season one, when she went undercover in Food for Thought. Bo has to convince her to really go in there, and she's like, I can't do this without the Ash, where it's such a transition to season three, where, again, she's the impetus as to why everybody is there. She wants to help her former mentor. She convinces Bo to do it, to go undercover, to commit these crimes against feyhood and manhood. You know, gets the whole ball rolling with both of them undercover once they're in prison. And again, you know, everybody loves that opening scene where she's saying to the guard, don't you have a baton to go polish or something? And I know, right? Yeah. Quick on her feet, just really snappy. Um, lovely. I love Sassy Lauren. She doesn't come out to play very often, but when she comes out, it's really neat. And I always feel like she she feels like she's being a little bit naughty when she gets to be sassy. She's like, oh, did you see, Bo? I made a comment about the nightstick. I don't know. I just think it's adorable. <laughs> it's like, wow, you are so badass. Even Bo comments on it. Then they start flirting, even though they're in the middle of a dangerous situation, you know, really potentially dangerous situation. It's just this whole different side of Lauren that we haven't seen before. And I like that in Cage Fae, we also see Lauren kind of call Bo out on maybe being a little bit wishy-washy. And, you know, that leads to the really sweet scene at the end of the episode, which everybody who I watched that episode with, when Lauren says, really? They just can't help it. They just say, "Oh." Everybody everybody melts spontaneously. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a beautiful, a beautifully played moment. I think if she, if, if Zoe Palmer had played it any different way, it just wouldn't have resonated as well. But that whole kind of heart-on-your-sleeve moment there just connects with so many people it's time it's time us really episode 303 confagion this is a big lauren episode and i love this episode it's probably one of my favorite episodes actually of the series i would and agree yeah, it, it's one of my favorite of season three. What if I have to pick one? I'm all, yeah, that's that's one of them. Well, it's just so much fun, and there's some really good character stuff in there between two characters who we don't get to see interact all that much. So that's why I really like it. And so we see in Confagion, again, sort of this confident, taking control of the situation type of Lauren that we see in Caged Faye. And we really get to see her relationship with Kenzie get addressed, which has been fraught from the beginning. I don't we we don't actually get to see where Kenzie and Lauren first meet. We just know that when Lauren shows up at the bar in episode one oh four, Fatal Attraction, they've met at some point and Lauren rubbed Kenzie the wrong way for whatever reason. It kind of like brews over the seasons and they finally kind of address it in, in this episode in Confagion. I found it interesting because there was this little exchange that Kinsey had with Vex in that episode where Kinsey makes a point of saying that she doesn't particularly care for Lauren because she quote unquote spy banged Bo. And Vex calls her out on that. She's like, and, and he says, you know, Dyson has broken Bo's heart a lot too, but you still like Dyson. And what I find really interesting is I think that exchange got cut from the version that aired on sci fi in the United States. So it that did. version. American listeners, if you if you only saw the sci-fi version, you missed a kind of crucial exchange there. I don't really understand the reasoning for cutting that bit. That was rather important. 
Kinsey brought up the terminology spy bang yet again, and I hate that terminology, especially three seasons in. I just feel like it's such a very one-sided, limited view of what actually happened between Bo and Lauren and Vexed. Let it go, Kenzie. Let it go. It's been a lot. It has been a long time, and I mean, the fact that there were a lot of untruths that were being spoken in season one, or omissions, as they were with Trick and Dyson, and that never gets brought up again. But this particular issue with this this trust in intimacy gets brought up again and again with Kenzie, and I think it just speaks to the fact that they they don't see it the same way. I always call it the safety bang. Um, instead of the spy bang, because it was really about both safety. It wasn't really about spying or getting information. But with that said, Kenzie and Lauren just come from opposite places. Like they're both human and I dig that. And I find it so fascinating that Lauren's orderly. Kenzie's really chaotic. Lauren appreciates hierarchy in a lot of ways. Kenzie hates hierarchy. They clash in all of these different ways. And I think there's this jealousy factor of, because they're both women and they're both human, into how they play with Bo's affection and life. And Kenzie holds on to that, I think, a lot more than Lauren does. But their conversation in in 3-3 and Confasion was just beautifully played. Beautifully played. So here's here's this ultimatum, this limiting thing. You never contribute. Well, you just think I'm this. Well, you don't know anything about my life. Well, and then the I love you confessions and the I knows. I love the way that Ksenia Solo says, I know, I know. I think that moment is so brilliant. I know. I'm so frustrated by this. I know. I know this, but it's irritating. (laughs) Well, she knows. And it's like, she knows the truth. She knows how much Bo and Lauren love each other and how much Lauren loves Bo. And she, it's not that she can't do anything about it, but she knows it's for Bo's happiness. But she's frustrated because she's Team you know, Dyson. She's, yeah. <laughs> like she's, she's frustrated because she's Team Dyson. Because well, Dyson doesn't I've challenge her in the about, same way. Yeah. The thing that I've always, I've examined again and again, why does, why is Kenzie so not Team Lauren, if you want to put it in terms of teams. And it's just because she's jealous. She doesn't want Lauren to take her place in Bo's life. And, you know, as the two humans, she might feel that Lauren is more established in the Fae world. She has a position with the Ash, albeit the subservient one. But, you know, again, people look to her with more respect as opposed to Kenzie, possibly, in terms of the Fae. And you'll notice that in season three, when Kenzie constantly gets called upon by Trick and so on and so forth as being the errant human, but Lauren doesn't. And I don't know if Kenzie picks up on that. But, you know, I think it's just Kenzie is just feeling more insecure about being in the human, in the, a human in the Fey world than Lauren does possibly. And she picks up on that. I think it also attributes to her own personal insecurity as a human being. You can really see it when she doubts Lauren's ability to protect Bo in the first episode. She also calls into question if she's a real doctor, which, you know, I think plays into her doctor phobias a bit that are off screen that we don't know about, but we kind of do. But I think it plays into her, her not believing in herself as a human being to be able to help the face situations. And then she puts that on Lauren. 
as a human, too. I think that that translates to Lauren. Oh, listen to yourself. You're not thinking clearly. No, I don't want to think, Lauren. I want to do something. Our chances of actually saving Kenzie go up if we're not actually caught first. Look, I know that you're impulsive, but we need a plan. That's how I work. The the Lauren we get to see in Confagion, where she, or yeah, in Confagion, where she is on top of things and, and using her science and thinking on the fly is really reminiscent of of a couple of other times we, we see her do this in in like Food for Thought, where they infiltrate barren chemicals. Uh, we also see it in in Flesh and Blood, where Kinsey's bleeding and she tells Hale, "Oh, you can use your siren siren whistle." And this is actually an aspect of Lauren that I really appreciate, and I like that she adds. Th- this variety to the group that it's you don't have to be a fighter somebody who can kill people in order to be useful and i like that that lauren's strength is really her intellect and her courage and and that's what she brings to the dynamic of the group well and i think she's got also she she is like kenzie in the sense that for being a human in the fey world she has an incredible sense of bravery but she's the only one who goes in you know in the finale of season two without a weapon but she goes in anyway because she's there to protect and to heal people. And her ability to think on the fly, again, yeah, it does add an element of this is what I bring to the table. This is why I'm important. And it's just, um, again, showing the strength of her intellect and her medical background. Lauren is kind of a mosaic of emotional strength and, and physical vulnerability. I like the dichotomy. No one should have to be everything to a group her intellect is really her weapon um, and she's probably one of the more self-aware characters on the show like she really gets at least that's what comes across on the screen to the audience that she really gets who she is and where she is in all her situations I think I enjoy Lauren the most when uh, she's firmly set in her convictions um, she's kind of a a price be damned I'll take the heat if the choice is right ethical conversations get brought up a lot um, in Lost Girl and I she sticks to her ethical guns all the time. In fact, it creates this fight with Bo in the fourth episode about masquerading as a therapist. And she's pretty firm on that. She's just like, that's a serious ethical offense. That's not something you do. I love you, but that's wrong. I like that it creates conflict. In the very end of the season with Taft and talking about the creation of the atom bomb, that just blew me away. That was that it really just demonstrated. She's just like, here's all the science. Yes, it can do all this good. Watch for the consequence. She's constantly aware of the consequence. And I thought that conversation with Taft was very interesting in the context of us learning, learning that she was arrested for protesting limitations on research because that's what that's what that little sheet says that that Taft hands her and says, oh, I see that you're wanted by Interpol. It's hard to see it flashes by really fast on the screen if you're just watching it in real time. But if you pause, it actually says that the reason why she was wanted was because she was involved in demonstrations about increasing freedom for research for scientists. So it's really interesting to me that that's what she was arrested for. We want more freedom to do research. We want more funding to do research. But she's so moral and and thinks that there's really an ethical uh, limit to what science should do. Yeah, at the same time, she's not going to – she doesn't want to use science to hurt the Fae, to hurt humans. She says this has a limit, which is described as in in 313 when she says to Taft, I'll do what you say if you let everybody go. 
you know, she can only do it up to a limit. And then, you know, it's brilliant, of course, the what she pulls at the end, mixing the DNA and everything, because she's still not going to make Taft. The quick off-screened electrogel phoresis, yeah. That only takes a couple of minutes, you know. No problem. <laughs> Science in Lost Girl. A lot of and a lot of the fandom and a lot of the audience kind of give Lauren a little bit of grief for a few of the choices she made. The safety bang is one of them, of course. And there's also arachnophobia, where she calls in a security alert on the Dijian spider, which apparently was responsible for like genocides and killings of lots and lots of people. And Dyson's just like, well, you're inconsistent. I, I can't trust you. You're inconsistent. And she's just like, I don't care about your trust. I want that girl's trust. <laughs> well, and she also wants to do the right thing. That's something about Lauren that I think that I find really interesting is here's this, you know, 30 some odd year old human who often acts more mature than hundreds or thousands of year old Faye. Lauren, yeah, our sense of responsibilities to the greater good as a whole, not just what we see on our screen. Definitely. And I think we see like the example with arachnophobia where she still tries to remain loyal and protect humans. Well, it was so funny because when you talk about Lauren's morality and how it comes up in 304, when she and Bo have that argument about Bo posing as a therapist, it was so funny because I read on Twitter before the episode even aired, there was, uh, you know, all this uh, comments on, you know, what Lauren says to Bo, where she says, yeah, I guess being a doctor would seem easy to somebody who never even graduated high school. And you had all these Docubus fans going, no, a fight, a breakup. And then I watched the episode and I was like, calm down, people. They made up within the episode. It happens, you know, but it really speaks to that conversation because... I look at that conversation and I go, well, it wasn't such a big deal in terms of a docuous breakup or anything. You know, Lauren wanted to make the point because when Bo just says, oh, yeah, I guess I could crack a book or two, she's really speaking against everything that Lauren is and has worked for and what her life is about to just kind of offhandedly say, oh, yeah, I can be a doctor. And that's why it really shows Lauren's you know, sense of morality and character to go, um, no, you can't say that. This is who I am. So you would better respect it. Well, and I think her comment about Bo not completing high school was a low blow. She should not have gone there. But I think within the context of that episode, she was feeling, clearly feeling frustrated with Bo for other reasons. And so I think that's partially why she said something mean but she apologized for it pretty quickly so yeah and it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction well if you're gonna say this then i'm gonna say the first thing that comes out of my mouth so it it, it was an, it was like a supernatural domestic fight <laughs> about about roles like Bo feels like she can take on things for her private detective agency uh no problem no harm no foul no one will ever get hurt right which she has done successfully many times before, so why not impersonate a doctor? Oh, yeah, she taught, she taught kids without having a teaching certificate, but, you know, whatever. Exactly. It's children. But with, you know, people's psychological um, breaks, which happen, that seems a lot more serious. So I was really glad that actually happened, and it was a lot less disastrous, especially with the the couch scene that happened, like, five minutes after. That was great. <laughs> All is forgiven. We don't care. <laughs> Yay, for couch scenes and for flowered bras. We didn't know Lauren was a flowery bra type, but okay. we're glad to know that. 
Okay, so I have to bring this up. What do you think was more surprising that, that we learned about Lauren in season three? That she wears flowery underwear or that she signs her text messages, love, L-U-V, Lauren? I think, I think for me it's the grammar. I don't think she'd ever, 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 ever shorten her words, ever. Oh, yeah, that's right. The L-U-V, yeah. I think that's a bit out of character so well, yeah i also found it odd that she signed her text message it kind of made her seem very unsavvy technologically speaking and i don't think that's lauren at all i don't want to mention the blackberry either i love blackberries <laughs> blackberries so you we were talking about episode three or four played to black and so this scene this episode had probably my favorite lauren scene of the entire season in it I love you. I love you too. But being a doctor, I know that I'm not enough for you. Don't say that. You're a succubus, Bo. And we both tried to pretend that it wouldn't be an issue, but it is. It really brings to light the reality of Lauren being with Bo and how. So far, they have ignored that reality and lived in their own little bubble, in their own world of just enjoying each other and being able to date each other and have incredible docubus sex. But Lauren had to know that whole time that Bo is probably weakening day by day, that she can't sustain herself on her, and that the injections weren't working. She's just putting in the back of her mind that she would have to give Bo up and you know, in a sense, and let her start feeding and sleeping with other people again, because that's the only way Bo can physically survive. When we see Lauren say, you have to start feeding again, and Bo asks, are you okay with that? And she just, she's like sighing and crying at the same time, says, I have to be. And it just epitomizes what a, not only what an aware character Lauren is. She's been aware of all the risks of dating Bo for the whole time, emotionally and, you know, physically, the effect it has on Bo. But, you know, it just shows what in an incredible self-sacrificing character Lauren is. Again, she'll always be looking for the greater good. And a lot of the time throughout the series, she sacrifices herself. Her freedom with Nadia, she gave up for five years. And she gives up now her relationship with Bo, this one woman that she loves, because it has to be for the greater good and for Bo's health and for Bo's safety. But it's, again, you know, the most incredible job by Zoe to see all those emotions flip through her face in that one scene, just to go, this is what you need, Bo. But at the same time, it's the last thing I want to do. You know, I agree. And I think, I think three, four was very pivotal episode for, for Lauren's deconstruction during the entire year. They really did rip apart her character a bit to get to the bare bones to, I think, rebuild her a bit for season four. But this particular episode demonstrated what she was trying to do for the relationship and what was working. And, and that, that sacrifice that she had to make. And, how she played it was brilliant um, on the scene. I really liked Bo's reaction to it as well. It was this disbelieving, let me make a joke. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you feel like crap kind of a thing that she plays off this really serious moment. I think the show does amazing things 
by even attempting to go into what an open relationship would have to look like with a biological imperative. Like, it's not just a choice. It's like, hey, I really need lots of people in my life. It's no really, I have to have this or I'll die piece. And so it makes it more palatable to the, to the audience and it, and it, and it demonstrates more in sacrifice than that and her willingness to say, okay, let's create some ground rules. Like, healthy open relationship people do let's let's see where this takes us um and it's kind of this deconstruction of her needs versus what Bo would be okay with too i loved that it was such an amazing thing to see on television i've never seen that before and this is kind of jumping back to what we were talking about before where some people kind of question lauren's intentions i always find that interesting because i feel like the show time and time again really paints more lauren as this huge martyr she's always sacrificing herself because of somebody else like what she did for nadia and again what she does for Bo. it's all it almost gets ridiculous at times it's like oh my gosh nobody is this good that they just always put themselves second all of the time i think I really like that she's flawed, though, too. Like, she's one of the characters that you see the consequence of her choices play out all the time consistently. And I really liked back in season two where she sleeps with Bo before telling her about Nadia, which was kind of an iffy thing. That really was for her. That wasn't for anyone else. That was, I think that was the moment in the entire series where she just took something that she felt she needed before she had to be locked up, enslaved to whatever was going on again. That was brilliant. But I do like that she tries to put everyone in front of herself, generally. And I think we're going to see how that plays out in season four. I think there's going to be some breaks. I hope we'll talk about that soon. (laughs) I think we saw that even at the end of season three. Everybody keeps questioning, how can Lauren be so naive? Why does she go with Taft? And it's just... You know, as you said, Stephanie, nobody is that perfect where she keeps sacrificing herself and sacrificing herself. And finally, Taft gives her this out and this chance to go, here's a chance to do something good for the human world. Logically, when you look at it, you can see why Lauren wants an escape at that point. She's broken. She's had the break with Bo. And it's just, you know, as she says, I think there's a lot of truth in what she says to Bo in 3.13 when she says, this is, you know, a chance for me to do something for my kind, you know, to save my kind. Because she doesn't want to use her intellect and her brains and, you know, her emotions to be second anymore. And yet she's so brilliant, she found a way to save the day anyway. I think there was a huge deconstruction of Lauren during this entire season. It started at the beginning, you know, with her disbelief that Bo would really, really want a relationship with her as a mortal. We skip over uh, episode two, then episode three, really see Vex taunting her with her mortality. Kenzie kind of being snarky about her abilities somewhat. And Lauren having to come to terms with her girlfriend needs a lot of sex to be able to, to be able to live. And then four, that nail gets hit on the head and broken open. And Lauren's confronted with the fact that her formulas aren't working for Bo anymore because whatever has happened has triggered more need to feed like this hungry devolving fae that we don't really know about yet and then it jumps into five and then six where she realizes that there is a de-evolution going on with Bo and 
and she needs more information to be able to help. And tricks being, of course, his machination self, and I'm not going to give you all the answers. And then seven, eight, nine, and ten, where everything that she's working on isn't working. Her saving grace is her science. She believes in it. It's been her out and her light at the end of the tunnel for so long. To have it fail breaks her significantly, I think. And I think that just led up to the delinquents uh, scene with the break. You know, Tamsin may have taunted her with with some chi, non-sucking infidelity, but but that was like the last straw that broke her back in the season. And she makes a choice. Well, and I thought that there was a really big parallel between Bo going through the de-evolution in relation to the dawning and what happened with Nadia and the Garuda in season two, it seemed like that that storyline was purposefully calling back what Lauren had just gone through a year earlier. And again, I think that's partially what led to the, to the break is, is Lauren feeling like I just went through this and now I'm going through it again and I still couldn't help her. Right. Yeah. I couldn't save the one that I loved yet again. I think it was funny too, because they did a lot of visuals that were the same, like at the end of three, five, um, where Bowen's talking to Lauren on the couch and Bo's just like, you're amazing. And she ta- and she says, yes, I am. And all of this other stuff. But they talk about this problem. What if I am a monster? What if I can't control myself? It was this huge callback to the couch scene she had with Nadia, where Nadia's just like, I'm not in control. I can't remember anything. Save me. And Lauren says she can, but can she? And it's this kind of the same thing with Bo. Like, it, visually, they did it as well. Well, I always think it's interesting in 3-5 when Lauren is the only one who can talk, you know, dark bow or super succubus down. Which What I is that? Yeah. Devolving well, bow? Super succubus bow? We don't <laughs> who, know. Who knows? Who knows? But I always love that scene because I just think it's so significant. It's not, even if the real Kenzie was there or it's not Trick or it's not anybody, but it's Lauren who can bring bow out of that dark side but you know what's so tragic is that later even later that's still not enough she's still going to continue to devolve and to be beyond the realm of lauren's help with her science and her intellect and when you talk about the break it's it's a culmination of everything lauren has been through you know really in the series to that point we don't know a lot about lauren's life in the five years prior how much she went through with the previous sash we see how much lachlan abused her just to get to bow one human or even faye could not take that much and she has to do what is right to protect herself as much as she loves bow she has to concentrate on herself at this point, and that's why she says what she says to Bo in Delinquents, uh, that she's so tired and that she just needs a break. Well, it was completely organic. I mean, it was very important to get to that point, because frankly, the love triangle is kind of stale when the only reason they hang out with Bo and they're on the show is to love Bo in this unequal, uneven, weird triangle. Um, when you give them something outside of Bo, Wow! That's great. That's actually character um, character development, and I feel like that's kind of what they did at the end of season three. Okay, Lauren's broken up with Bo. She's got to go figure her stuff out. She needs to work through Nadia's death. She needs to figure out this place with the Fae. Oh, she left the Fae behind. She just gave them the finger. Awesome. This is this is the moment <laughs> we needed to see. 
This is really important. Leave that little symbol uh, behind in that drawer and take off on your own. And I can't wait to see what that you brings go, because because this has been incredibly needed over three seasons. And some people don't like Lauren because she's lived in this role and she's been subservient and she's taken what's been given to her without without a lot of pushback because of her position and her physical frailty in a way in their world. But I, you know, in season four, I would love to see power suit Lauren with her little shots mm. to defay everybody and say, if you screw with me, I take away your power. Have a nice day. <laughs> it would just be nice to see a super empowered Lauren be able to say, here's my place in my life and I've made it and you can't take it away from me. And I think that's, I'm hoping that's where they're going. Well, that's a really interesting take for the possibilities of season four. And this is one thing that always fascinates me about Lauren when with relation to her past and, you know, what leads up to everything that happens in season three is her role in being subservient to the Ash. And we see that personified in 203 when Lachlan comes in and he says, actually, I'm a stickler for protocol. And Lauren slowly kneels. But it is so fascinating to me to go, what happened? What was the process that made this intelligent, beautiful woman who was a human being with her dignity and her intellect, you know, what was the process with the former Ash that made her so subservient that she would physically kneel? Did he abuse her emotionally, even physically? It wasn't just the whole thing with Nadia that he had the power over her. How did he devalue her as a human being for her to just automatically kneel like that? That's off-screen menace. She's enslaved, indentured servant, whatever. If there's no end date to your, to your contract, um, which happened in the middle of season two, then that's forever. It's kind of slavery. There's that level of menace that we'll probably never really understand, but it's easy to see in how Zoe portrays Lauren. Like that one moment in season two where she defies the ash, throws her necklace and says, mm. I'm done with you. That was my favorite scene of season two, by the way. And she gets hauled off and there's this sudden understanding of, oh no, this is where that's going. There felt like there was a lot more to that than just being hauled off to the dungeon. So I think it's it shows how complex Lauren's relationship is with the Ash and, you know, the feelings of her being subservient, because it just made me want to scream at the end of the episode when I saw it for the first time, when she kneels again to the Ash and says, you know, the necklace stays on forever. I'm like, I wanted to throw something at the TV. It was I'm funny, because like, I had this conversation with somebody else about this, but we don't know we just don't know what that secondary contract looked like. Did she repledge? Did she even have a choice to repledge? Like, was this just contingent on, okay, the Ash says off screen, if I save Nadia, you're mine forever. Like, we don't see any well, of that, so we can't really, well, there, we can't the, say why that happens. Well, first of all, I, the, the whole Lauren losing her dignity thing, I think, I think definitely Lauren learned the rules of the of the Fey world from the first Ash, and whether that involved some sort of imprisonment or some other sort of type of, um, I don't know, f physical degradation of her in some way, we don't we don't know. I think definitely though the first the first Ash really taught her the rules. Like this is your place in this world. I think Lauren, at least initially, was was in this sort of like debt servitude where she was at the very least working off a debt that she owed to the first Ash because he allowed her access to his resources to help Nadia. 
So that's kind of my impression of what her contract looked like initially. It could be wrong. Again, we don't have that much discussion of what it actually looked like. But then when she repledges herself to Lachlan, you're right. We have no idea if there's any type of end date to that situation. And there is a mention from Lauren where she says that she's repledged herself to the Ash because he saved Nadia. I owe him everything. So there's a little bit of a suggestion that she wasn't completely unwilling. But again, we just don't we just don't know what that contract looks like for her. Just the thought that Lauren would be able to just go, okay, I'm off. I'm escaping the Fae and my contract is done. Yeah, that's, you know, as Dyson says at the end of season three, now you know you can never escape the Fae. And I think even Lauren knows that at the end of season three, maybe she was fooling herself and thinking that she'd be able to go off with Taft and escape the Fae. She knows too much. I mean, do you honestly think they would ever truly let her go? No. No. She's dangerous in in that regard, and I think that will play out in the coming season. You need to stay here where I can protect you. But you're not protecting me. You're keeping me prisoner. I know you just broke up with your girlfriend and you need space, but that is not my problem. Bo is now your boss. I am. And a year ago, you were just a cop. The dark get their hands on you, they'll kill you, Lauren. You're pledged to the ash, Dr. Lewis. What I liked about the developments in season three with Lauren concerning the power dynamic of the Fae and her humanity was really concerning Hale. We saw Hale as um, a caring individual. You saw a lot of compassion for him in the second season with regards to her. Um, and then in season three, he's her boss. And he tries to play it as just this employment. I'm just your employer, right? I'm just your boss, right? But it doesn't play out that way when her request is turned down and it's like, no, actually, you're pledged to me. Remember what that means? You can't have the time you requested off. And at that point, she recognizes that no matter who is in position, it's always going to come down to that. And that's the straw that says, see you later. I'm out. Have a nice day. Yeah, even if it's a friend, someone who used to be a friend or whatnot, he's bound by the same rules as being the Ash. And Hale realizes that, you know, he says he's trying to protect Lauren, but really he's trying to keep Lauren. Yeah, it's true. What they say about power doesn't change you. It reveals you. I really hope they follow up with that later on in season four. So I think we see in season three an interesting kind of evolution in the relationship between Lauren and Dyson, especially in delinquents where they have this kind of buddy, buddy moment lamenting over as people who have both sort of had relationships with Bo. And at that time, at least were not in relationships with Bo. And I actually thought that moment between the two of them was, was pretty sweet. It kind of got contradicted a couple other places with scenes between Lauren and Dyson, but in the context of just that, episode. I thought that scene between the two of them was rather sweet, and it reminded me a lot of the conversation that they had at the end of season two, after Kiara died, and Nadia had died, and Lauren was sort of offering some comfort to Dyson. Yeah, I just uh, watched that scene at the end of season two again, and I was like, wow, that parallels delinquents so well, because they both understand that loss. They both understand the Fey world taking away someone that they love. And with delinquents, it's such a it's such a good point as to where their arc has kind of converged. Lauren's feelings have evolved for Dyson. And it's such a sweet moment where 
you know, for me, the triangle doesn't exist at that point. It's just two people commiserating over what they can't have and how unique and how great it is to be in a relationship with Bo. But I think they've really gained a respect for each other at that point. And I really want to see that going forward into season four, uh, much like I want to see the Kenzie and Lauren relationship and more of a friendship build in season four. That's the things that I want to see. Yeah, I liked I liked how they um they formulated some of their relationship. I think there's this depth of understanding that Lauren has for Dyson as a as a person, not necessarily as a Faye, but as a person, even if there is that rivalry with exactly. Bo. The lost conversation in the doll over Kiara's death and then Nadia's um, really illustrated that point. She kind of reached out to him and then the echo of him reaching out to her in delinquence was beautifully done. Well played. Loved it. Loved it. I love it when they actually have dynamic together because it's fairly rare in the show. But then these reoccurring notions of the Fae being superior to the humans and the requirement of that tend to set back their, their emotional touch points consistently. Like at the end of 222, we have Dyson saying, run, be free. I have my love back. I, that, I, I really just care about you. See you later. I don't really understand his motivations there. We will never know. They were kind of mixed. But to see him then reassert the fact that Lauren could never leave uh, at the end of season three was very tragic in a way. He was angry. He was angry at what happened to him which I felt was completely ironic considering that the Fae use humans for food, uh, pleasure, and all of these other things whenever they feel like it. To have the tables turned on the Fae, to have a human torturing the crap out of them um, <laughs> for for whatever reason, um, he didn't like it. He didn't like how the shoe fit. And so he kind of turned a lot of that anger back on Lauren rightfully or not it was there and i think that again sets their relationship apart again well he's an alpha male of of course he's going to not you know like being in a position of subserviency you know ironically at the end as fans say he's one of the only characters who really knows what lauren did to save the day so we'll see if that comes forth but yeah he's literally the only one that yeah, knows what yeah. she did so we, I really hope that gets revealed for Lauren's sake to have Lauren be in the forefront and have her be the hero for once instead of always being the self-sacrificing human in the background. But I, I like that about her. I like her stoicism and that she doesn't talk about what she's doing. Like, I think if anything's brave, that's kind of brave because it's not putting your problems on anyone else. That's just putting it on yourself. And I, I dig that about her character. I think we as we as fans really want people to the characters on the show to realize Lauren's really awesome. Look what she just did. But but <laughs> exactly. I don't think I don't think that Lauren needs that personally. I think she's fine knowing she made the right decision and did the right thing in that moment. And I think especially it's interesting that she does that for Dyson and gives him this really sort of caring touch on his shoulder mm -hmm. yeah. in, after he yelled at her and essentially said, you can't leave the Fae, you stupid human. Uh, and I thought that was a really important moment for the two of them. And maybe that will help rebuild a little bit of that relationship that started to develop between them in season three. Yeah. And I don't think that the relationship between Lauren and Dyson is completely, you know, beyond repair. Same thing with Lauren and Kenzie as everybody is broken apart at the end of season three, they're all physically in different places. So season four, we really need to see them all come back together 
you know, a lot of fans implied there's less teamwork in season three. So maybe we'll see that in season four where they come together to find Bo and Tamsin and Dyson, wherever they've poofed off to. So we'll see what happens, but I, I can't wait to see what the writers have up their sleeve. Well, I was curious why you spent five years hiding in the Amazon jungle and trouncing around through Afghanistan and being off the map. I'm adventurous. I asked my lawyers who I pay an offensive amount of money to look into it, and they did, and they're very good. And they dug up a bone that I think you wanted to keep buried. Karen. I don't respond to blackmail. Yeah, well, my lawyers don't want me to associate with a known fugitive. Yeah, I really want to know about Karen. Is she... A plot device? Will we ever mention Karen again? Was she Lauren? Was she a twin sister? Was this just a plot that the Fae was conjuring up to help with the Taft infiltration that we don't know about? Or will we just never know? So another big thing that we got in season three, which we sort of alluded to, is the whole ever more complicated backstory that Lauren has, because we really knew nothing about her in season one. Season two, we learned that she's been, Nadi was in a coma for five years, which means, you know, at that point, five years ago, she was in the Congo doing research, and then she became a a indentured servant to the Fae. And so she's been with the Fae for five years. But now we get this sort of backstory of her being on the run from Interpol, which probably she did after she got her MD, and then she was in Afghanistan for a while. It's like suddenly Lauren... Don't forget Egypt. And Egypt. And it's like Lauren suddenly, she must be at least 45 to have done all of these things. Well, I was trying to plot that out. I was was thinking about it, and I kind of wrote it down. I was just like, so take her as like a normal person, right? She goes to school until she's 18. Maybe she graduates a year early because she's a genius. She's scary smart. Yeah, she's scary smart. So four years in university, four years at Yale, and some med school. Okay, now she's like 25. Okay, now there's some other backgrounds with immunology and genetics. Okay, she's 27 now. Um, And she's been with the Fae for seven years, so she's 35. And somehow in the middle of all that, she's wanted by Interpol on the land, makes a new identity, has been to Afghanistan, Egypt, and the Congo for six months, and got a girlfriend. Someone explain how that works. There's a lot going on with Dr. I don't know. Warren. I think the Faye like threw Warren at a time warp or something. <laughs> Unless she's older than we all think she is and she's, you know, created the fountain of youth. So going back to the the Karen Beatty plot twist, first of all, I will never call her Karen. I really hope they don't start trying to call her character. You are Karen. not alone in that. I won't do it. And I, I'm getting a little frustrated of these, like, soap opera plot twists that they keep putting in Lauren's background. First, the girlfriend in the coma, and then the secret identity. And it's like, I kind of hope that they undo the Karen Beatty plot twist in some way. But the only ways I can think that to get out of that are, like Kedry mentioned, really soap opera as well. Like, she has an evil twin. Or, <laughs> or you know, it, they're... I don't know that there's a good no, resolution. I'm not a fan of the twin hypothesis. I really wish they had spread the love around a little bit with the cast on on the soap opera pieces to the backstory. I feel like be- sometimes they don't know what to do with her, so they just throw things at her to call it, oh, you want a backstory? We'll give you Karen. And she no, went to this I, country. I think, 
Yeah, I think they just like throwing the soap opera plots around and it's like, Lauren's plot is kind of full. What about Kenzie's? That's the other character that people want to know about the most when it comes to backstory. Oh, it was so tragic. I mean, she's already been through all this tragic stuff. Give it a break already. The one word throw offs, Yale, Afghanistan, the Congo, Egypt, Karen, it's with nothing to flesh it out with. Yeah, those those words really are just thrown out and we only have that one straw to grasp on as an audience, so then we have to make up this whole backstory in our heads. And I don't know how much the show has time to flesh it out, because it is an ensemble show, and so I think it'll take a while to get to the resolving of Lauren's backstory, if we get to any at all. I actually liked the reference to her being in Afghanistan in 303. I thought that added some interesting kind of depth to her character. But then when it kind of got mixed in with all of this Karen Beatty nonsense. I'm just like, oh, now I'm just confused again. But I I did like the idea that probably she went over with Doctors Without Borders. She doesn't seem to have much military training. But I I did like that detail personally. I really loved it. And I just hope I want to see an Afghanistan flashback episode or something like that. I yeah, the Afghanistan bit I thought was fascinating. And the Karen Beatty, I will definitely drop. I agree. And I think it was nice to to point out when when Kenzie was making all those assumptions about Lauren and Lauren said, you don't know anything about my life. Um, Really speaking to a lot of hard stuff. I mean, Afghanistan is not a country that you go over too lightly. Same thing with the Congo. (laughs) Like tragic, tragic histories and current affairs going on in those countries. And yeah, and it's interesting to me because Lauren is the only char- one of the few characters who we haven't met a family member for, and I'm really curious about her family background because, like Kedri mentioned, you just don't go to the Congo or go to the Afghanistan lightly. And I find it interesting that Lauren has never mentioned having to hide her situation with the Fae from her family. So I'm very curious to know what her family background was, if it might be similar to Kenzie's, where she had a very fraught relationship with them or something like that. I think she does reference an Aunt Edna seeing Aunt Edna in limbo and getting a cheesecake recipe from her in original skin. So maybe she was raised by Aunt Edna. Maybe her parents died. I don't know. I'd be curious to know, though, what sort of her family background looks like. I'm actually not a huge fan of flashbacks because I don't think they're used well a lot of the time. But I think we really need a flashback for Lauren at some point. I particularly would like a flashback with Lauren and Nadia since we never really got to see what Nadia was really like. There was always this question of, is it Nadia? Is it the Garuda? So I I would welcome more than one flashback about Lauren, but I, I actually would really appreciate a flashback that included Nadia for that reason. Yeah, I think it'd be kind of, as much as I'd appreciate a flashback to Afghanistan, I don't know how difficult it would be to do that, because I always assume it's in the pre-Fay era of Lauren's life, and I, I don't know if... Um, that would be really useful to write into the show. But yeah, seeing the flashback with Nadia and the whole incident when the Fae got sick and the Congo and how that unfolded would be really interesting. A lot of fans hated hated Nadia. that backstory, and I was just like, wow, that demonstrates what she'd do for love! Exactly! That's so amazing! How could anyone see what's something bad out of that? Come on! I liked that too! It's kind of a delicate subject, like Southern Belle, delicate... And I don't know how you're going to take it, but I just can't keep it from you any longer. Is this about Lauren? It's about something that's been a big old bug up my butt for a couple of months now. You think we're spending too much time together. You've never liked her. C'est tout le contraire, mon chéri. 
Ever since I saw her get all sciency on the Morgan's evil last plot, it loves me some lore. Well, good, because she's very lovable. So as as far as future storylines go for Lauren, like like I mentioned, I'd love to see some background revealed about her family. And I also really want Lauren to get a friend because she doesn't have a buddy on the show besides Bo. But, you know, that's that's more than a friend. They've made it a point to really isolate her from pretty much everything. Like there's this fey human divide, right, which she's very accustomed to. And then and then she has Bo and literally no one else is on her side. Like, Kale, you thought, oh, well, he kind of likes humans. He might be on her side a little bit. But when push comes to shove, no, it's about the species. And really, the only person that could really kind of connect and, and humanize that relationship would be Kenzie on the show. And they've really avoided that. I was hoping they'd build more to it, and they just did not. Um, so she's she's on the outs. She's isolated. Is she a part of a gang? Will she be the last person they go for uh, to find what's going on in season four? I kind of think so. Well, and I think and that's kind of the flaw is that sometimes she's the first person they should go for, but I think with most of the characters being fae, they would just be conditioned into thinking, well, I'm not going to go for the human, even if she does know a lot about the fae. Yeah, and I think that's the one tragic thing about Lauren is she doesn't have a sympathetic ear at all besides the lover in Bo. Definitely, and I'm still hopeful that maybe Lauren and Kenzie can build a relationship. We saw, you know, they kind of had a little heart-to-heart in Confagion, and we saw them processing what sort of happened to Bo and the dawning, and I think that's kind of where we get the beginning of Kenzie's sort of arc toward the later half of the season is feeling really disconnected from Bo now that she's really connected with her face side. And so I'm still hopeful that maybe they can build a relationship, but even if they do, you still have this issue of Kenzie is Bo's best friend, and if things aren't working out between Bo and Lauren, will Kenzie still be friends with Lauren? No, absolutely not. Exactly. The BFF relationship comes first. So I thought a good way to maybe conclude would be, let's talk about why we love Zoe Palmer, because we mentioned in our episode about Bo why we love Anna Silk as Bo. So let's talk about what we appreciate about, about what Zoe Palmer brings to, brings to Lauren. One of the things that really attracts me to any show, any genre, is just the quality of the acting. And especially with a genre show like Lost Girl, you know, mainstream might think, oh, it's a genre show. It's just silly. There's no quality in there. But that's what attracts me and a lot of people to the show is just the quality of what Zoe brings to the table. And, you know, like in the kitchen scene, it's just so many emotions across Lauren's face. And it's just incredible what, you know, you can just analyze it over and over again and you'd never be done with it because that's the depth of... Zoe's talent and her work ethic. Yeah, it's just incredible. Um, Not just acting, but just a sense of truth that Zoe brings to that character that makes you feel all of Lauren's struggles, all of, you know, how the backstory torments her, her love for Bo, how she'd do anything. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to put into words now that I'm trying to do it. So, here you go. For me, I didn't see a lot of Zoe Palmer's work before Lost Girl. She was kind of an unknown Canadian actress to me. But seeing, initially what drove me to the show was was those scenes between her and Anna Silk and how they interconnected. I hadn't seen anything quite like that. I mean, the show did a great attempt on, on creating a bisexual character 
with um, sexuality not being an issue um, on the show. It's not regarded. It's not, it's not talked about differently. But their connection was very, very different than, than what I had seen previously on television. It, it resonated. It, it felt natural, organic to watch, even though it was very brief. And I think what Zoe brings to kind of the acting sphere is her, her, her layered performance. Most of the time when I'm watching her act, she's got this physical element to her that is very particular. Like she really, you can see hand placement, just kind of physical gestures that I don't necessarily see from everyone else that, that really just may bring the character 360. It makes it a three-dimensional piece beyond what she's saying in her facial features. Um, and I like that about her. I think she's a more physical actress, which is why I think she'd kick ass with like a, a lot more physical roles. This is probably a challenge for her being just very contained in this character, but she plays it so well. And she brings a lot of stoic integrity to a character that could very easily have just been a one-dimensional sweeps person. And it's probably why they kept her and, and promoted her in season two was her ability to just kind of draw out the mystery and make her a more empathetic character to the audience. I agree with what, what, you, what you both are saying. I think Zoe has a really, has a real depth to her acting and, you know, she could just be standing there, but it looks like, she's going through about 17 different emotions because, and I think that really fits Lauren as a person because Lauren is a very reserved character, but I don't think she's a, an emotionless, just dead character because of Zoe, because she brings so much emotionality to her physical presence as well as her facial expressions. And I think Anna Silk actually has a quality of that too. She projects a lot with the way that she particularly looks at Zoe Palmer, <laughs> again, going back to their, their really good chemistry. I really appreciate that connection she has with Anna Silk. But beyond that, I think she projects a lot with so very little. Thanks, Zoe Palmer. <laughs> so thank you so much, Kedri, for being our guest. We really appreciate your being here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was uh, really fun. I liked it a lot. And thank you again to Kedri for being our guest. You can follow Kedri on Twitter. That's K-E-D-R-I-E. And this was the second in our series of episodes about the main characters on Lost Girl. Trick is going to be coming up next, but we are still looking for contributors. So if you were a fan of Dyson or Hale or Vex and the Morgan or really any recurring character that you really find interesting and love, please get in contact with us. I will include the instructions to do so in the show notes for this episode. They'll be in the show notes for episode 10 at drinksatthedoll.com. Even if you're not interested in being a contributor, we would still love to get your feedback. What did you think of Lauren's story arc in season three? Where would you like to see her character go in the future? You can send that feedback by leaving a comment on the show notes for this episode. You can also send us a voice message through your computer or through your mobile device by clicking on the send us a voice message link at the bottom of the show notes. You can email us directly at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line. Thank you so much for listening to us here at Drinks at the Doll. Have a great week. Cheers. Cheers.